Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Brenton Williams. And I am Jeremy Duvall. Welcome. I'm excited to be here with, uh, don't tell everyone else, but my favorite of the Scrying Gems, uh, Mr. Britton Williams. How are you doing, Britton? Doing great. I'm, I'm so happy to hear I'm your favorite. Until well, I listen to an episode with Tom and you say he's your favorite. Exactly. It's like, uh, <laughs> who's who's giving me what I need at the moment? They're my favorite. No, but joking aside, we had a plan uh, for an episode with all the scrying gems, but it's that time of the year for both family obligations and also uh, cold bugs. So we didn't quite have the whole gang together tonight, but I'm really happy to have Britain on. For those who don't know, uh, Britain, a longtime Kings of War player, a fantastic hobbyist, a writer of Dash 28, currently on the RC. Did I miss, did I miss anything, Britain? Anything else you've been up to lately? No, that's, nope. that's, that's, that's about that. it. Uh huh. Right on, right on. Yeah, so Britain and I are going to get together and talk a little bit about uh, what we've been up to. And then we're going to go into the Scrying Gems is going to be doing a series of episodes thinking about how do you make an army? Dealing with that idea at the umbrella level, thinking about it through a competitive lens, thinking about it through a hobby lens, sort of these, this idea of you had that first genesis of a thought. How do you take that concept and that army project all the way through of design? Uh, how do you plan? What models do you paint first? How do you pick color schemes? How do you intentionally practice? How do you work a list through? How do you develop it against other lists? So it's going to be a series of episodes sort of looking at all those different elements of army design. And I know for me, the reason why I want to start off with this sort of in look at how we craft a sort of hobby project. I mean, that's for me what brought me first into the hobby, Britain, right? It was walking by a game store and seeing miniatures. That is what first captured me in doing miniature gaming. Yeah, I mean, the really simple fact here is that I know some people say, like, if the game was just blank bases, they would still play it um, because they love the game that much. I don't think I would. I think it needs to be that unique special sauce to hold my attention of, like, the artistic and, like, cool factor of having miniatures on the board. And, and that's what... You know, I love the Kings of War rules, but if it wasn't a miniatures game, I don't think I'd be playing it. So, And I think there's something timeless about that. I think as games evolve and the rules change and we have video games come and go, I think there is something, there is something, I don't know, to be able to hold something and to see it in the flesh, I just feel like there's just something ageless about miniatures. Uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but... It's been a part of through all my life, and if anything, it seems like the miniature hobby is growing and growing. Maybe you know there's a couple uh, elephants in the room, right, in that hobby, but the hobby itself seems to be doing as good as it's ever done. Yeah, I know. I know. Again, for me personally, like 
I was for years and years a big video gamer. I work in the video game industry. I sort of grew up with video games kind of becoming better and better. And I remember looking at like game magazines and seeing screenshots from the newest game and being like psyched. Same as I would be like looking at a white dwarf being psyched. And over the years, like that love, I still like video games, but that love for just like seeing a picture of a game is kind of like faded out of me. I couldn't really care as much. Like I'll play them as they come out, but the, you know, that absolute like love, but I will still look at pages from miniature magazines, pages from old white dwarfs and the the same feeling of when I was like a 10 year old hits me. So there, there's definitely something special about miniatures. I don't know what it is that just fires the right things yeah. in the brain. <laughs> straight, it, straight yeah. in. It's like, it's just, the, I don't know what it is. It's like right into the main vein, you know, of just, you see a really awesome miniature and you're, you're back to when you were a kid or your, your imagination runs wild. And there, there is truly something special about the hobby. And I think that's important too, is, as we start to get older, we've talked about it on the show before, but you know, there's just something about walking by a table full of beautifully painted miniatures that I think bring people into the game. Uh, and I think that's going to be important, right? As we start recruiting the next generation, you know, they can go play video. They've grown up in a world where they've been having video games forever or whatever. So I think getting that young, the getting the hooks in the young kids by showing them how different and that they're models and that you can have, you know, that tangible model aspect, I think is going to be good for the longevity health of the game. I think. Oh, absolutely. Like kids have choices and, and more than we ever did. Right. (laughs) Like miniature games are hard, right? Like you assemble models and you paint models and you need a certain number of them together and you need to learn rules and and there's certain things we can do to sort of lower the barriers of entry for people but it is never going to be as easy as like booting up a console and playing a video game and for me that's you know one of the the things that makes it so amazing is that you put effort into it and you put your individual sort of heart and soul into your figures whether you're an amazing painter or they're your first models they still feel like yours and that is something that's so special about them. They are a tangible thing you can hold. They are like artistic expression. It's a craft. It's something that you work on and get that satisfaction of working on it. I mean, it's it's silly how Games Workshop like brands it the hobby, but like it is a hobby, like a, a all sort of encompassing hobby, and that's something special about it. Yeah, I mean, we call them. Uh... Uh, lifestyle games and some, you know, and some rule sets are, but I think the hobby itself, if you go into any person's house who is into the hobby, you're going to find that out. You know, you're going to find that, find that out really quick, right? Whether it's a, a cabinet of miniatures or those of us who are lucky to be Kings of our own castle and have our, uh, paint table or you know, your work table that you can modify to the paint table. It is something that, uh, is, I think it just adds so much to your life, right? I know for me, I would be be living a, a, a lot a grayer life if I didn't have miniatures, you know, in my life. Um, yeah, it, what I sort of find is a good barometer for sort of how I'm doing with my mental health is like, am I painting miniatures? Yeah. <laughs> like if if everything lines up well and I'm happy, I'm you know, it's this productive cycle of feeling good 
doing my artistic pursuits, my artistic pursuits, like sort of feeding into my good kind of mood, etc. And at times in my life when I'm least happiest, it's an indicator of that. It's like, I'm not getting any hobby done. Yeah. And that's interesting. Let's take a moment there before, you know, as we start getting into thinking about sort of how a, a hobby project begins and evolves. And as we sort of track that and suss that out, but let's, let's talk about first just motivation. Do you find in your life, you go through periods where you're really motivated to paint and painting is sort of the destination. Do you find that when you're feeling down or lost that painting itself can sort of bring you back up or do you have to sort of how does talk a little bit about how your motivation to paint like where where that comes from how that evolves yeah i mean i am not someone like i enjoy the process of painting but it is not necessarily like what i would immediately choose to do i sort of look at it it's kind of like going to the gym (laughs) where it's like I love the benefits of it. I love sort of how I feel once I'm in the middle of it and kind of going and I love the results and it's sort of good and healthy for me. And I love having painted armies and stuff I've spent time on. And, and I find at the end of it, like at the end of a longer session, like I am enjoying it, but it's not something I think to just sort of sit down and start doing like I can find a million reasons not to do it most of the time. So having been enough years into this hobby and, self-reflective enough on that i find that i need sort of motivating factors to get me started with a painting session or a project or a model and then my kind of like enjoyment of it will take over and i'll finish things or i'll want to do the next session to move that model along or finish it or whatever that's that's usually how i find it is i have to have a a number of kind of deadlines and processes and routines and sort of self-promises to to get stuff over like motivational humps and yeah, then, I think that then compar- I'm happy about it. <laughs> yeah. That comparison to the gym is really interesting because when you go to the gym, you're always, once you're there, you're loving it. Afterwards, you're like, Oh man, I feel so much better. I'm so glad that I went and did that. And then you get better the next time you go to the gym. Right. Mm-hmm. And paintings like that. Sometimes I'm like, Oh God, oh, I want to go watch Reacher. Or I'm going to go watch YouTube or I'm going to do this or that, you know, but once I'm painting and I'm there, I'm like, oh, man, this is great. I'm, I'm calm. I'm focused. And then when you're done, you're like, oh, look at what I finished. But it's that same thing, right? Well, some, sometimes you do need to find whatever it is in your life, whether it's getting ready for a tournament or whatever. Find the thing that is your North Star for motivation so you can at least try to identify how to, how to, where the motivation is coming from. Yeah. And I don't mean to go too far down like the gym comparison, because I know there's some people right now being like, well, I hate the gym even when I'm there. It's sort of any kind of difficult to start. But once you're doing it, you feel better practice. I know some people are like this about cooking or baking or gardening, right? And gardening is another one, right? Gardening or or a whole lot of different things that sort of bring you joy once you're in it. But it's sort of hard to find time in your life to carve out to actually do and and it's just sort of getting started is the hardest part i found times where if i tried to and it's all over the the hobby right the like hour a night i try sometimes if i and i know it's that's harder to do if you don't have a dedicated station right Mm 
-hmm. Like if you have a dedicated station, you could say, I'm going to do at least a half an hour a night, right? Or I'm going to do 20 minutes a night because all your stuff's out, right? But that Mm -hmm. can be a lot harder for people who don't who don't have that dedicated space, right? Who just can't just walk over on their lunch break and paint for 20 minutes. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely about finding what works for you within your life. But the sort of key that is true, I find across most people is like lowering the barriers to doing hobby. So if you don't have a dedicated hobby space, have a dedicated hobby, you know, box or crate or something that you can like, put it all away in and know where it is and bring it back out quickly. I don't like to look, I don't, one of my personal things is like, I try not to put a minimum limit on the amount of time I'm hobbying. So the whole like hour a night, I try not to be, have it be like a specific time, but just like start hobbying this many days a week. Because once you kind of start doing it and like you start doing something, it doesn't matter if it's 20 minutes or it's 45 minutes or an hour, hour and a half, like just having that consistency of doing something. And I find most of the time, once you've gotten started, it's not going to be 20 minutes. It's going to be an hour or whatever it is. But if you tell yourself it's okay to just have it be half an hour, 20 minutes, whatever you have time for, it it helps a lot in my mind. Do you think, and I thought of this tracking my own painting history and also the fact that when I went snowboarding, I hated it. Everyone would say, when you first do it and you're bad at it, you're not going to like it. But once you get certain good enough, you're going to love this. Do you think as a painter who's grown over the years and, uh, you know, who's painting at a really good level, do you think that there's some part of the, your painter's journey where you just don't like it and then all of a sudden you sort of get how to do it and then your enjoyment of it increases? Has, has that been your experience at all? I mean, I think it's different for a lot of people. I had some friends from a, a company I worked at who were all sort of some were getting into miniature painting for D and D. Some of it were doing for like gaming, like uh, miniature war gaming for the first time, but sort of skirmish games. And I remember kind of going to their house for like a hangout, like painting session. And I didn't realize it till I got there that they were all like brand new painters had had no real history of painting and some of them had painted a few models some of them had painted almost none and what i'd noticed there is that like a table of five people is you had every kind of version like there was someone who was just painting like pulling a random bones figure out of their pile from a kickstarter and painting it with whatever colors they thought like flat colors just get it done no idea of washing none of that and he was absolutely loving his stuff he was loving the process he was like this is so cool and then there was another person who would like start one part of one model and then ask me 15 questions about it and (laughs) it was the two different sides like one person was second guessing everything they were doing wasn't really enjoying the process just wanted to get better just wanted to know everything about everything first And the other person was just like having fun putting colors on a model and like neither way is correct. It's just sort of like everyone is going to be a little different and just understanding how your brain works. If you're someone who needs to be good at something to enjoy it, then yeah, you're going to need to get over a hump and like learn, get solid technique before you maybe enjoy it, just get through it. Some people just love putting colors on a model, like, cool then you might love it from the beginning but then find it harder to learn later on so 
it's everyone kind of has their own process. Yeah. And it really is. I mean, it is. I think when it comes to cre- creative endeavors or creative hobbies, you get that often, right? Different people find different things from it or different motivations or different things inspire them. So as we talk about this stuff tonight, Britton and I obviously are, are speaking through our hearts, our creative you know, our creative minds, what we like to do. And by no means are what we're talking about, we like to do, you know, the only highway. This is like a multiverse of ways to be into it. So we're just going to kind of chit chat about some, you know, some of our ideas, what we talked about, but just know there's, I think when it comes to painting, there truly is no right or wrong way to get into it. Just do it. You know, there's no, you know, so, but I'm curious, how important do you think, Britain, it is in in getting to an enjoyment of the hobby enough to do an army project or to do something more extensive? Uh, was it important in your journey to sort of have maybe in your circle like a better painter than you or someone you could bounce ideas off of or are other people, even people at your level? Has a community been part of your painting journey or has it been more like a solitary experience? I mean, I would say... There have been a few times when I've had like a local painter that I could go like sit next to, but that's been pretty rare. Um, I have usually in my groups been the person who cared the most about painting. Yeah. Um, and that's not in any way like me being a really good painter. That's mainly because I was, I sort of started in the fantasy like 40K realm as a little kid when like I was painting freaking terribly but it was goblin green bases baby didn't care i was just like (laughs) slapping paint on a model and calling it like this is so awesome i love this and and then i was sort of i went through a phase of like i don't know the right way to put it but just like get it done painting where it was a lot of like oh i have a skeleton army i'm gonna dry brush it all and then put a wash over it and like call it done and like no other touch-ups nothing like that's good enough and then i switched over to doing gaming a lot of historicals and within historicals for like armies people don't especially at that time weren't the best painters it was you know you're painting 400 figures for an army you you get it done and you spend more time on like bases and maybe shields because that's what you see but it wasn't at a high level of painting. Now there is incredibly high level of painting at display, like single model display for historicals. There's some of the best painters in the world do that at big painting shows like Monte San Savino and stuff. But like for the army painting, it was a lot less. So I found myself because I'd come from fantasy and because I wanted to paint really well within the, the like realm I was in, I wanted to try and win painting awards within like historical tournaments that I was usually in my group, I was the slowest painter, but I was the one that cared the most about getting it to a higher level. So it was hard to sort of look around and, and get tips from people because they'd be like, whatever, just dry brush it. What are you spending <laughs> so much time? Um, and then when I sort of switched back to fantasy, I had a short period where I could like, there was a game store right by my house. It was like on my walk home from work. And they had a club night every Wednesday. And every Wednesday, there was just a big dining room table in the game store in the basement that while everyone else was playing games around, there would just be five or six painters would just sit at and like talk and paint and do whatever. 
And that was that moment where like a couple people there were way better than me, like way better. And I got to sit there and just sort of like watch them. But then I moved away. I only lived there for a little while and I moved away. And again, in my like circle of friends, I was the person who cared the most about painting. So it was a lot of the internet. It was a lot of like watching yeah. videos, reading books, posting, but I wish I had more just like sitting next to someone and watching them push paint around on a model um, because I would have improved a lot faster. So. Yeah. I mean, I always came up in when I came up in the game, it was always, I just happened to be surrounded by really good, talented people. You know, when I was growing up, one of my bussy, one of my buddies, he's been on the show before and you've seen his work, Jesse Burke. He was always the best painter of us growing up. And he was one of those artistic kids is that he was painting like at 14, he was painting good, you know, like not where he's at now, obviously, but it was like shading and highlighting and understanding like, you know, he, he was an, an artist, right? Yeah. Uh, jerks is what jerks. we call them. And then when I worked at uh, Gamescape in San Rafael in the Bay Area, our manager was an amazing painter, a guy named Darren, who also was just really, really, really good. And then even when I started to get Kings of War, you know, I'm friends with you and painters like Jeff Swan. And again, not just good painters, but like in the hobby are like really good. Uh, so I know that's been one of the motivations for me is surrounding myself with artists who I really love and respect has really pushed me to get better. Because I think I could have stayed like tabletop and been just fine there. You know, but I think it's one of those things to get from zero to 80% is a certain amount of effort, but then each 5% you get after that is that much harder. Uh, it's like playing pool or getting good at anything, right? You can get up to a certain level relatively okay. And then each increment after that is, is really tough, right? Yeah. I think I might've been happier if I hadn't ever started wanting to paint better, um, like if I could go back in time and tell Brenton to little Brenton to like, don't, don't worry about painting. Well. Go learn the guitar. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's true that like, and I find that with paint judging sometimes like someone will ask for critique and I'll sort of explain some stuff. I think they could be doing better because like, I'm never as a paint judge, you're never like, it, it's always like my opinion is this is what could help this model. And they'll be like, oh, but that's going to take more time. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> the, the sort of up to 80% you are right now, yes, it's going to take a lot more time to get to the 90%, 95%, whatever, up to, you know, the, the time you invest in a paint job, like exponentially goes up for like smaller and smaller games. Yeah. And that's really, I think, the really high, high, high end painters, besides being such great artists the more you learn about it, they're like, how many hours am I going to put into this one piece? Mm -hmm. Right. And that really becomes like a skill gate, which is you have to be of a certain skill. And then at that time, it's like, am I spending four or 500 hours on this thing on my one piece? That's going to be my piece that I'm going to paint the entire year. It's going to be like this one piece. Yeah. Um, and then for us being more army painters, doesn't mean you can't do army painting at a, at a high level. And that's often like that when we talk about that time to level ratio, is that a question that you think a, a lot about uh, when you're working on a project is trying to find that balance between what level you want and then what time you want and the fact that we're painting whole armies? 
Yeah, I mean, that that goes into the motivation piece, which is something I always think about with motivation on a project. It's like you want to paint to a level for a project that you believe you can sustain and complete for that project, right? Like you never want to be in a case where you're like, I painted these like first 15 models and now I'm burnt out and don't want to touch the rest of the army because I can't bear thinking about spending that much time on however many more. You kind of want to find that sweet spot, which is good and like achieving the goals for the project, whether that is, you know, uh, a certain theme or a certain color scheme or a certain model choice or a certain like pushing your skills in some way, like whatever your goals are for that project, you still want to make sure that you're, you know, investing a time into it that you can complete the project that like you are not trying to spend a hundred hours per model or, you know, 10 hours per model. If that's not something you can carry through for, for the entire project. Um, now you will speed up as you go. You'll like get tricks and, kind of learn and like your per model speed will speed up around the same project, but like you still have to be, I try and be super aware. Like, can I sustain this throughout a yeah. project? And when I think about sort of the triangle of like hobby project development, I sort of think of sort of three key elements. You have the style of which you want to do that army, right? The theme. I want to do a quick paint uh, samurai army. Or I want to do, I want to do, like, I have it in, like, am I gonna, is it going to be in my turned up to 11 mode? Meaning each model I'm going to try to paint to the best of my ability that model. Or am I doing, like, slap chop or whatever? And that sort of tends for me, as one point to that triangle, that tends to be more kind of linked to theme, where I'm thinking about, sort of the theme of the army, how do I want it to look? And that seems to be sometimes linked with the style that I'm going to use for that project. Does that, that, does that resonate with you at all? Um, some, I, I sort of have two ways into like two main ways into a project. Um, and one is, is less relevant to this, uh, conversation. So I'll cover it super quick. Like either I start with army design and like, okay, and that a, was one of my other triangle points was how is the army going to work in wherever system you wanted to use it in? Yeah, yeah. So it's like I find a list or a unit or a concept or just something like I want to make an army around. Um, and I start with that and I start building that. And then once I'm sort of refining what that list or concept or unit basis or whatever I'm doing from like a gameplay perspective... I then kind of go find a theme <laughs> or, or a painting style or whatever it is, or the models. So like the example of that is my ogre project. Like I decided on wanting to do a chariot army because it seemed fun to play and it was cool and it was different than the ogre list I saw. I did not have a theme yet. And then we all like me and Kyle and Scott were like sitting at a game day trying to think of like themes of cool themes for it. And that's when we kind of came up with like, oh, what if it was like an old Roman or Greek or whatever, like chariot race. And then the like wheels started turning and the, you know, all of this started happening and got into like hobby mode on it. But it started from a place of like an army design. That is less often the way I design armies. More often I come from sort of what I would generally call like theme design. 
and whether that is a miniature range I find I love or a basing style or like a general like theme or a technique I'm trying to learn and push like a painting technique or hobbying technique or like a combination of those that is norm more often the way I sort of start with an army yeah. and, and kind of come into it. And what you were saying around like theme, like painting style and um, like army theme and like type, I, I kind of find like I can start with any one of those mm. and then I sort of fill in the rest. <laughs> like, yeah, I might find a miniature range and then be like, Oh, that would be cool if I did it with swamp basing and then like, you know, uh, conversions of this type and like, well, that's going to be, I, if it's swampy, I want it to be a really dirty paint job. So it should be this style of painting. And like, it kind of, like I sort of pull out of yeah. the like warehouse of my mind, different things and kind of fill it out. Yeah. I imagine like, so on this triangle, right, you have the style and theme uh, at one, one uh, point mm -hmm. you have the gameplay army list design at another point. And then at the last point of the tri triangle, you have the, the models you want to use themselves. And it's kind of like any, you can be like, I'm models leaning towards gameplay or I'm gameplay, but I'm going down the theme track. And it mm -hmm. seems like those are sort of the, the gravity wells of which we orbit when we're sort of beginning that thinking of when we want to do a new project. Yep. And then I have, I have one other like modifier for it, which is for most of my bigger projects, um, I'm trying to push like one to two big, like new hobby things for each army. So like stretching myself in some way, whether it's a new color combo or a style of painting or like converting or really intricate multi-basing or like for my ogres, the two I sort of selected is I wanted to make sure I was doing non-metallic metal across the entire army and doing a big F off display board, <laughs> like a big ass display board, um, because I wasn't going to have to fly with the army for its first big tournament. So those were like the two things I was pushing from like a hobby perspective I hadn't done before. So that's the other thing is like, is there a technique or something I want to learn to stretch myself that I'm, I'm like this army is going to be a showcase for because I find if I make myself do, you know, Kings of war armies, whatever, like 50, 60, a hundred models, 120 models with this, whatever the idea is, then like, I'm going to have it nailed <laughs> by the end of it. So it's a good way to sort of force myself to learn things. Where does in this early Genesis. So we're thinking about models. We're thinking about army theme. We're thinking about lists in in the design. Are you in your mind have an idea of oh the next army I want to do I'd really love to do a green army or I want to as you talked about exploring new hobbies. How does when you're picking your color palette do you just have a colors that you really love like you're always drawn to this cool or warm colors or, or how do you develop your palettes? For a new project i mean i try and have it holistically work with whatever my basing decisions are um so that they all fit together but what i would generally say is um it is a combination of determining like what my goals are for the project whether it's like am i trying to 
you know, draw people in and like go to tournaments and have people notice the army? Does it need to be super bright and colorful and kind of like tournament painted trying to get awards? Or is it just a project I'm doing for myself? But what I try and do is I try not to repeat um, specific colors uh, too often because I feel like sort of what I said before is once you've done a hundred models or more with some version of a color or some color scheme, you kind of have it locked in. And then that's like in the locker, like I can do turquoise, like a, a deep fade out from like really dark to like light turquoise, because I did an entire undead army with that um, as it's, it's primary color. So then you kind of put the turquoise away for an army project. You can use it for spot color or whatever. And then it was like my ogres were, um, you know, a really kind of like burnt orange flesh and like a really vibrant blue armor. So it's like I have those colors kind of in the locker for the next army. I'm going to do something different. Um, so it's trying to make sure that I'm not just repeating the same armies over and over again. Um, and then I just try and think about like what's the colors I want for it. And then what is a basing that either shows it off or uh, complements it well? What I would say is I'm a really big fan of doing test models, like thinking of three or four different color schemes or like colors or ways to do a color you want. Um, and then picking models that won't be in the army. That's sort of my big test model thing is like, if I think they're going to be in the army, then I feel pressure to get them like exactly right or to paint all of it or to paint it in the same way I would for, you know, the 50 models you're going to do in that color later. So I like doing models that specifically will not be in the army. They are nothing but a test model. Um, there's no pressure on you of getting it perfect to match the final implementation. You just select something close enough to the models you'll have in your army um, to practice like the scheme and techniques, but there's no pressure there. And then just doing three or four of those and like uh, challenging your assumptions around it. Like even if you think you want to do these this color combo, like try a few and see what actually looks really good and see if it needs to be darker or lighter or whatever. Um, and yeah, I normally do it on like uh, cheap bones models or like if you're doing large infantry, like I'll use the Russian like Tenalog models you can get on eBay for super cheap. Um, but yeah, just knock out test models and, and see how it looks and ask for feedback. I think, and I think it's true. I think you can imagine a color scheme in your head and I've done it tons of times. And then I actually put it onto a model and I'm like, Ugh, that, that, that doesn't work at all. And then sometimes there's an organic process when I'm working on that test model where I'm just like, I don't care if the paint doesn't, it gets too thick or doesn't quite, it's not whatever. I just will paint over it. Right. And say, Oh, mm -hmm. let's have this sash be blue. I don't like it blue. Let's paint it in red. I don't like it red. Let's paint it in purple. Oh, wait a minute. That's starting to look a little bit better. So sometimes you need to see it on the model. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm a big, the thing I fall into is like, I'll see, a um tutorial online like i'll see it on instagram and i'll be like that looks sick and then i'll try it and it's like a pinterest fail version of it like mine looks not good at all <laughs> and 
if I had already like committed to just doing the army in those colors, then I'm like fighting against that and like trying and trying and trying to make it right. But when it's on a test mall, I can just be like, oh yeah, maybe um, ivory armor wasn't the right call for this and I'll just do something else. Or it takes you three days to get through it on the test model. And then you're yeah. like, okay, it is this right now takes too much time and yeah. it's not within my vision of the project time to model ratio wise. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to do it. That is, that is not sustainable in the amount of steps I want to take on this. Yeah. So now, have you ever been like a color wheel guy, like like going to the color wheel or thinking about color theory at all, or or uh, the amount of colors you have on a model? Or have have you ever like kind of gone into that way, or is it more just sort of organically you have a sense of how you want the model to look? I do have a color wheel. I have it. I'm like looking at it now. Um, like a little one, it came with some paint sets I bought, like miniature paint sets I bought from some company. I highly recommend like having a color wheel, um, especially one that shows you sort of uh, not just looking across the color wheel at complementary, but sort of like triads and, and other stuff that makes colors. Um, that all being said, I'm not that good at it. I'm not that good at color theory. I always want to be better i'm not actually much of an artist artist i'm more of a craftsman um i need to read like the book everyone recommends about color theory and get better about like spot colors and all of that um what i do do is i just look at a lot of people's stuff that looks good and i just steal like absolutely steal you know color schemes from one type of model and put it on something else, uh, color combinations that work over here and just put it on a fantasy model when it was on a sci-fi model or a historical. Oh yeah. Bit. Like uh, I just am constantly looking at stuff and saying like, Oh, that looks cool. And like bookmarking it or saving it and then just stealing mm -hmm. it for future projects. We're I'm sharing the same cell. That. Yeah. We're <laughs> sh sharing the same, same cell at the penitentiary because I am an unabashed stealer. And I think when you think about, oh, I would really maybe I maybe want to explore like I did with my Forge Fathers. I want to explore green and ivory. Oh, well, I'm just going to go look at the Dark Angel color scheme because that's a color scheme that's been developed and worked on for how many decades. So I know and there's there's Dark Angel stuff everywhere. So I can go look at the colors within that sort of uh, insp inspiration and then I can take that and run with it. Or I really want, I really love red. Okay, let me look at some armies or ar stuff that I know that has red in it. What colors are they choosing in, mm -hmm. for, on those models for uh, contrast or pop or whatever? Yeah, and it's, and then sometimes like there's some really basic color combos that you just sort of know or you've seen enough or are very, very classic and might, ogres are an example of that where it was sort of orange flesh and blue and like like orange and blue is a very very like classic uh color combo like color theory 101 so um but it works it's it's color theory 101 for a reason so. yeah and they talk about that right in basic sometimes if you can't figure a color scheme out look at the uh uniforms of professional sports teams Yep. you know look at football helmets and you'll see a lot of like uh possible color combinations for an army yeah. um. and then i also just find that like uh this is for me is i tend to um like i tend to desaturate a lot of my stuff so it's not you know 
even if I'm using kind of weird color combos when they're desaturated, they don't look that weird next to each other because they're not kind of plasticky looking. They're more natural looking. So it's okay. Yeah. So we're starting to kind of get our ideas, right? We're starting to think a little, we've thought a little bit about what gameplay element we're wanting. We're starting to think a little bit about what models we want to use, maybe some colors. You mentioned it. And I know it's an area of the hobby, as and especially Kings of War hobby, that you've been kind of exploring. But how important for me, I almost start my armies with what's the basing going to be, right? Mm. I love to do dynamic multi-basing. It's just, it's my jam. So sometimes that's what, where an army project will even begin, is I want to do, like for my Twilight Kin, I want to do desert greek north africa like remnants of the roman empire in north africa in the desert morocco and that's where like that's the genesis of the project but can you talk a little bit about sort of your journey with basing yeah i i sort of the way it is for me is that i always have about 10 to 20 army themes or concepts like rattling around in my head at any time it's a it's a scary place to be is inside my head um and those can be fully fleshed out, like model line, basing, color scheme, whatever. Or they can just down to like, hey, I'd love to use this type of basing or whatever. Um, but it can start for me from either being a model line, a basing style, a concept, a display board concept. It, it's like any of those can be an entryway into like an army theme, overall like army theme for me. Um, but I'm sort of the same way where a lot of times it starts with like, oh, it would be cool to do this type of army, like with a basing style uh -huh. and then sort of seeking out like, well, what models would fit with that? Cool. Well, what army would fit with those models or what types of stuff? Um, and I'm not, I feel like I'm not as strong at multi-basing concepts and sort of themes and like execution against that. But part of that is because I'm, I'm stuck hanging out with Scott who is amazing. At <laughs> um, uh, and so I sort of am down on myself, but I, I do love the, I love the freedom Kings of war gives you with like a larger canvas. Like the, the unit footprints, footprint sizes are such a better canvas than like a 25 mil or a 32 mil, like round base or, or square base. They're, such a better canvas to sort of build on. And I've been trying to stretch myself more recently to do like better, more interesting multi-base and kind of more thematic bases and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's really around like what is a concept that hasn't been done a ton, or if it has been done a ton, what is like my angle into it, that's going to make it interesting and better. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like, if I'm doing, you know, swamp basing, why is my swamp basing going to look really cool? Like, what's the the thing I'm going to do that's going to make that neat? If I'm doing underwater basing, like, what is the cool thing I'm going to do in my underwater basing that makes it interesting or different? And I shouldn't say better, but just different than... Your own thing, the... right. Like, if someone already had a hippodrome display board ogre chariot army that probably wouldn't have been something that you would have picked to do you would have 
would you have just tried to do it still, but in your own way, or are you trying to find more stuff that hasn't been done at all? Or can you kind of latch on to maybe something that's been done already, but you put your own like spin on it? Yeah. I mean, it, it depends how niche the idea is, right? Like ogre chariot racing, hippodrome. If someone had brought that like last year, I probably wouldn't have put the effort into doing it myself. Um, unless theirs was just garbage and I could do it much differently. Um, but there are certain styles that, like, you, you know, wargaming and fantasy wargaming has been around for a while. You're probably not going to be the first. Like, if I do swamp basing, I'm not going to be the first person to do swamp basing. If I do lava basing, I'm not even the first person in my gaming group that's done lava basing. Um, so for me to want to do that, I would have to f- find some something that makes it interesting for me, either some technique or some other thematic elements or some mix of like the army type. So like if I was doing lava basing, but it was with a traditionally non lava based army and something cool about it, that might be neat or, you know, whatever it is that I'm trying to do, if it has some spin on it, that's just for me personally. Yeah. I don't think anyone should be scared of playing the hits. Like graveyard basing looks rad. Like ruined. Ab- oh, there, there's some oldies but goodies, rad. right? Like, yeah, there's some oldies but good but goodies for sure. Like, and maybe that's a good looks, place to start. Snow basing looks good for a reason. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I know having Scott around again. When I go back to my, uh, it's okay to not be Babe Ruth if you get to watch him hit every day. You're gonna get better at hitting. I know that's pushed me in my basing looking at how scott uses space and uh uh vertical space right not just horizontal space he scott is a master of taking things and with his architect brain creating visual angles and elements so that when you look at it 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 looks natural and unique and diverse Uh, your eye is just drawn to his multi-basing but there's a method to that madness right it, it looks like it's crazy, but everything is being done with like a correct amount of randomness to make it look a certain way. And yeah, his multi-basing is just so good. Okay, so now we're, we're moving along in our imaginary project. We've got our theme. We've got our models. We've got some colors that we're ready to test or that we, we're pretty confident about. When it comes to my least favorite, and I know this is Kyle's like favorite, army assembly are you trying to get your assembly all done at one time uh you know it is important right if you're painting something to a high level that you're filling gaps or talk talk us through a little bit like where do you fall along that sort of uh assembly sort of phase are you trying to get it all done right away do you go unit by unit or what's your strategy for tackling assembly i tend to go unit by unit or unit type Um, I cannot assemble an entire army in one sort of like phase. Um, I hate assembly. It's my least favorite part of the hobby is like cleaning and assembly. Um, I know some people love it. I was never a big like model builder. I was never someone who was like super big into model airplanes or model tanks or stuff. Um, I just don't have the like, as never a gumbla person, I just don't have a like cutting things out of sprues, putting them together, um, like obsession. Like I don't, I don't enjoy it. I'm sort of fat fingered. I end up gluing my fingers together or to every other piece of something. 
Uh, I only feel like I'm messing them up. I'm just trying to like survive the assembly stage and get mold lines off and gaps filled so that Ryan in Texas doesn't yell at me. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I'm just not, I'm not a fan of it. So I can only put up with so much of it at once. So I sort of do as much as I can stand, uh, whether that's, you know, getting all of this type of unit done or getting all of these done. And then I have to like paint or I will, I will go insane just assembling things. I also don't always have room for it. It's sort of weird to say like where I store assembled models is much smaller than like where I store boxes of stuff in my pile of shame. Um, so like moving something from like the box phase to assembled, um, I only have so much room in that kind of like assembled, ready to get primed and worked on and painted area. So yeah, I usually kind of, yeah, like work on one chunk of things at a time. So like the example in my last project that I'm still sort of working on my like drowned constructs, um, abyssal dwarf army, I had a whole bunch of abyssal golems, um, like lower the obsidian golems, lesser obsidian golems. So I did all the lesser obsidian golem, like assembly, cleaning, whatever, stuff at once and then i painted them all and then i made bases for them all uh and it was like six or seven regiments of them so uh whatever like three per base or like 20 21 i guess golems individual golems painted um so like assembled painted whatever all that stuff happening um and now i've and then i did all the decimators which there were you know however many 48 or something decimator models um so i like assembled them all cleaned them painted them all uh and then based them and now i've moved on to like other infantry that i'm doing the sort of like melee armed infantry and i'm trying to like get all of those assembled now then get them uh, painted and based and etc. So I kind of go in like chunks. No, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm the same way as you. Where I'll start with like, for example, my Twilight Kin. I'll take pieces I've just been working on them. I want to do impalers. I open up the impalers. I clean them. I assemble them. I paint them, and then I'm done with them. Right. Mm -hmm. I know it's pro it's factor. The only I will sometimes do bases first because I love it so much. And uh, it takes a long time so that if I get the bases done, at least once I finish the models, they're going right on the base. Mm -hmm. They're not just sitting there doing nothing. So for me, that gives me an extra sense of completion, which then prompts me to paint more. Because if you're telling me it's faster to assemble everything in your army all at once and then paint gold on 160 models wherever there is gold, I don't care if it's faster. If he's bro, I'm not going to be painting if that's what I have to do. So yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. What, what I find is for me, I'm a fan of doing the largest batch size you can that like you feel good about painting. <laughs> so if you can personally batch 20, like do 20, there's lots of efficiencies that are going to help you out doing 20. If your batch size is one, because that's what will keep you painting is doing one model at a time then your batch size is one and that's fine. And don't let someone tell you that like you need to paint more models, like paint, paint the batch sizes or prep the batch sizes or assemble the batch sizes. The largest number will give you efficiencies, 
but it's really about just keeping doing it. So yeah, like what's going to keep you painting? Yeah, and I find for me, like human size model, my my batch size of painting for most projects is like four. <laughs> I will paint four at a time. Um, for some projects, like doing my Eldar or my Ogres, my batch size a lot of the time was one. I would work on a model <laughs> and paint yeah. the whole thing straight through and then pick up the next one and do that. For Well, I'm not going to lie. That's why, I, that's why I love painting Marvel Crisis Protocol because that game is a batch size of one. Yeah. <laughs> you paint one, minute, one guy at a time. Yeah, but I, I think you're exactly right. It's, it's finding that threshold of in whatever bandwidth will keep you, whatever uh, uh, for page, wherever on the Goldilocks band, that 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 perfect space of batch to whatever that you can paint in the end you're not going to get an army done if you're not painting and what about i know i'm notoriously bad and i'm trying to change this with the twilight kent project is what i want to paint first is all the fun stuff so i want to paint the heroes i want to paint the monsters and i'm trying to do now more maybe do some of the heart, the, the more mundane stuff first and reward myself with the monster or maybe go unit monster, unit hero, unit whatever. Uh, how do you think about like organizing what you're going to paint first in sort of the chron- the chronology of a project? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. This is just my personal feeling. Um, everyone's mileage will vary. Whatever works for you to get an army done, gets an army done. But again, coming from sort of a historical background, I'm a big fan of what I is generally like just eating your vegetables. <laughs> so like find the big dumb like group of however many models you need to get done and like get that done or at least break the back of it, right? If you have two hordes and a regiment of something and you get the two hordes done but you want to do the regiment like fine, whatever. But like get the big things done. Infantry hordes, cavalry units because for some reason like I don't know what it is like painting cavalry seems to take five times as long as painting infantry. Um, and for some people it's just horrible, but like get those units done, get them out of the way, get up like a big footprint that you can show. Like I'm this way through the army because I've painted 90 models of it or 80 models or 60 or what, whatever it ends up being. If you're playing an army that's primarily large infantry, these numbers shrink, but the time per model goes up. But get that done, and then like you can give yourself a little dessert. Like whatever it is that you like painting, whether it's monsters, whether it's um, special characters, whether it's elite units, like paint something that you really like from the army, and then go back to like the things you have to paint, and mm-hmm. then give yourself another little reward. And then go back and eat your broccoli and do your 30 inventory board or whatever. For me personally, I leave monsters and characters to the end Um, for two reasons. One is um, they're the things that I'm more motivated to paint. They have more instant feedback when you finish a monster. Like it feels amazing when you characters usually go, even though you're spending more time on them per model like they go a lot faster than like painting a unit (laughs) um and and they're usually worth a decent amount of points so like getting characters painted um i usually save till the end because they're the things i like painting the most the other reason is i'm usually a lot better at painting that army 
by the, the end. Like if I've gone through 80 infantry with these color schemes and this type and these things and whatever, by the time I get to paint that like characters, big flowing wizard robes, and I've done 80 cloaks of like normal warriors in that color, um, I'm good at that color. <laughs> I'm way better at that color than I was on like warrior one. So if I'd started with the wizard, I'm always going to be looking at that wizard's robes being like, oh, I can do better now. So I usually paint my characters last because I want them to be the best version of those materials, colors, techniques that I'm using on the army. Like I've got it dialed in, locked in, and now I'm applying it to the character. You know, talking about that artistic progression, not just from project to project, but from within within a project, right? Mm-hmm. Do you ever struggle? I try to just be once a model's done, it's done. You know what I mean? I'm moving on to the next model. Is that something that that resonates with you? Or do you ever have the tension, like once you get to the end of the project, you look at the stuff from the very early part of the army, and you're like, oh, man, I could do that better now. Do you tweak it? Or do you just say, once a model's done, it's done, and I'm going to move on to the next thing? Or I'm, I'm sort of realistic on that. Um, I have done a number of projects in the past where I've been like, I'll get it on the table, then I'll go back and add more. And I never add more. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know that about myself. So I'm, I'm in the same way you are. Like I paint the model to the best of my abilities at that moment, unless it is a character model where I have made glaring, you know, things that bother me about it. Every time I see it on the table, I don't go back because what I generally find is that I would rather spend those hours painting new models. <laughs> like, instead of fixing 20 cloaks on the first unit I painted in the army, I would rather paint 20 new cloaks on new models for a different army or a different unit for that same army. I yeah. would just rather, much rather apply those painting hours towards new stuff. Um, and I think, I think it's kind of cool, too, to look. A model is like a moment in time of your life, right? It is. It, and looking at it, you can see where you were as an artist or as a craftsman at that time. You think about what was going on in my life. It's like a time capsule, right? Yeah. It's like a. It's it's our IKEA de Tolf, uh cabinet of uh you know here is you know here is your life. Uh, so uh, something there's something I like I like about that. I guess you know. Yeah, and you'll like that's part of the reason. You know I. I tend to tackle most armies in like discrete, like a period of time. And it's hard for me to go back and paint new units for that army because it could be years later and things in my style have changed or I'm trying to match stuff the way I did it then. And it's, it's hard to do. Um, it's also sort of, I have my dwarf army, which was painted, you know, over multiple, a, a couple editions of Warhammer and then a bunch of Kings of War. So it represents like, 12 years or something of of painting in various spots you know some of the units were really really old um so like i put it on the table and it's like oh man these are all so different um (laughs) yeah which is why you won't generally see it in like a tournament i'm trying to get paint scores for but i still love the army i'm still not like mad at any of the units i love it it's just it, it wouldn't judge well but like I have no shame about putting it out on the table. I love that thing. doesn't matter if I painted it part of some of those units 12 years ago. It's, it's fun. So yeah, I'm not going back and like touching any of those up or changing. Yeah. I just can't do it. 
I'm just like, I'm going to take what I learn and use it on the next thing. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it is what it is. I mean, obviously if something breaks, right, you're going to fix it uh, mm-hmm. and repaint it, stuff like that. But I just kind of let it be whatever it's going to be in that moment. Um, I know some things, uh, maybe not, I don't know if it's for everyone, but I know it's, I've had hobby salt around this. Let's, you know, what happens or maybe what would you, I'm trying to think of tips or what I've tried to grow to tell myself, let's say you're knee deep into a project that you're in love with. It's unique. You love it. And then all of a sudden someone posts all these pictures because unbeknownst to you, they've been working on the like exact same thing, you know, in their workshop that you've been doing on your workshop. They just made it to market faster. I mean, has that ever happened to you or have you kind of ever had to sort of navigate that space? Yeah, sometimes, not a ton. I mean, I, I, part of it is that when I'm embarking on a reasonably large hobby project, if I am invested in it being unique or different, then I sort of have to put in the effort to try and make it pretty unique. Um, and that, that lowers the percent chance someone else is going to just suddenly bust out of their, their cave with the same thing <laughs> yeah. Um, without at least something being weird and different about mine that I can cling on to and say is, is unique. Um, so yeah, I would say the thing I sort of find myself doing in a hobby project is as I'm building it or building it out in my mind and then from my mind I go to sort of like a Pinterest board and from a Pinterest board I sort of firm it up even more is like is this crazy enough that like I don't think someone else is going to do it <laughs> yeah yeah like, like I did my my orc army is there a bunch of Lanschnick orcs with like fancy clothes on and super bright colors and they're all single piece metal casting models they're all stupidly expensive for what you're getting um they're really annoying to paint as a full army every one of them is a unique model painted one at a time with their own separate colors so like there's a certain point where i'm like who else is gonna do that dumb of an idea (laughs) like who else is gonna wants to inflict that much pain on themselves (laughs) yeah you sort of you, you get to a point where you're sort of telling yourself like I'm going to take this to a level if I care about being unique um, where like no one else should be doing this. I would question the sanity of if someone else came out of their own like garage with this. Um, And that's kind of the, the point, like you look at, you know, Ryan Smith's like labor of love over the past few years was like a Zelda themed army. And you hear like, okay, a Zelda theme. Like, there's people who have done a kind of loose Zelda theme or whatever. And he's like, no, I took the 3D models from a Wii U game and I reposed them all myself. So they are actually <laughs> the models from the game, and no one else can get them. They're not like uh-huh. for sale through something. And I did like he can kind of pursue that crazy idea because like even if someone comes out with a Zelda army or like, Oh, this is my Zelda ish themed army. His is still going to be unique and insane. So if you are super worried about being unique and you don't have to be, you can make a cool sort of tried and true army concept that other people have and you're just doing it yourself. That's totally fine. But if you have something invested in your soul about like, I need to be unique with this, 
then yeah, my advice around that is just be as unique as you possibly can with it. Put your own spin on it. Put your own sort of soul into different decisions that you're making around it. And then probably no one else is going to come up with that same thing. So, yeah. You know, and I know um, as you're sort of trying to identify, you know, what your project is, all these things, models, paint, color, uh, and especially when your goals, your goals are help influenced and impassioned by deadlines or goals or I think talk a little bit about this idea of painting towards goals versus painting towards expectations, right? The I'm trying to paint this army to the best of my ability and I want to compete in hobby dot, dot, dot. But sometimes in our mind we have that so that I will, you know, win a best painted award or whatever. And sometimes that can be rough, right? If you've spent all this time and energy towards painting towards not just a goal, but an expectation of how the army will do that, you know, paint judging paint judging being so subjective and being so many great hobbyists out there i mean how do you sort of rationalize that in your head of thinking about what the goal of the project is versus not chaining yourself to too many expectations for the project yeah absolutely so i think if i'm self-analyzing the way i do it is i paint i paint with a ton of expectation um like my goal is to complete compete in hobby and my expectation is that I'm competing in hobby. But once I get to the event, I try and eliminate that expectation from my like mind. And it seems a little weird to say, but like I generally think people don't win painting awards by accident. Um, I think they are like, making decisions and putting in hours and putting in effort and making choices in order to compete in paint um, or like just do a really, really good paint job. I think to put in the amount of hours and to spend the time like blending and, you know, making color choices and making model choices and multi-basing and doing all this stuff. Um, like that doesn't happen by accident like that to, to put that amount of time into something. Um, again, like you have to be a little crazy. Um, yeah. And totally. what I find is that expectation helps me be crazy. <laughs> it like I've joked about it before, but when you're putting like the 10th highlight on the ass cheek of a giant <laughs> right, at, at yeah. two in the morning, you know, some people might just like, that's what they do. But for me, I kind of have to check in with myself and be like, this is the level I have to do if I want to win awards or I want a podium at this event. Mm. I need to be putting that 11th highlight on the ass cheek of the giant. I need to be doing this. Like, I need to go back and spend more time on this thing. I need to put in the, the time and effort. And like, I don't want to cheap out on this or I don't want to have the optimal army construction when I need a centerpiece model. And even though the centerpiece model doesn't work in my build as well, I need it in there because I want to compete in this. Um, so like it helps me to have that expectation to drive me to put in the level of crazy that I think is required to compete in this stuff. Um, and then when I actually get to the event, I try and eliminate that expectation from my mind and just mm -hmm. be like, 
I did what I did, like the the die is cast. Like yeah, you've prepped for race day, and now you're and now it's time to just relax and run the race, right? Yeah, just be there. And if there's better armies, like better cooler armies, then like they're better cooler armies, and I'm just psyched that they're in the hobby. If the judge doesn't have the same, they don't value the same things I do in my painting, then like it's artistic choice. Like people can value different stuff. It's okay. Um, so I try and like, uh, and I'm not always a hundred percent successful at this. I'm not like some Zen master, but, um, I try and eliminate the expectation once I'm there and use the expectation as motivation before I'm there. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. use the expectation again after the event to like evaluate my own work to say like, well, am I happy with how it is? Are there things I can do, you know, to, to improve this, to get the expected result I want, even if I didn't. Um, so yeah, yeah let's... expect expectation for motivation and like self-reflection, but not, I never want to be like the sad sack at the event where I'm just like, Oh, yeah. that paint judge. It's just, like, yeah, hey, they, they judge things differently. It's cool. And, and go from there. Yeah, let's talk about that uh, uh, leveraging critique, right? How important is that to do a post-mortem on a project or to take a look and think about what worked, what didn't work, what might I try different next time? I mean, I think to me that's such a key part of growing as a hobbyist is being able to look critically and, and, and through a lens of uh, how do I improve when, when, when you're wrapping up or at the end of a project. Yeah, absolutely. We all have our own like blind spots. Um, and some of those blind spots are, are, you know, things we think we're better at than we are, but there's also stuff we think we're worse at than we are. Where like, we think that's a weakness of ours, but someone else sees it as a, as a strength and you should be doubling down on that when like you're trying to hide it and stuff like that. So I, I definitely think talking to other painters who are really good, having them look at your stuff, being really humble and not arguing with the critique, asking good questions, um, looking at your own project and saying like, why do I think if, if your result did not match your expectation, why do you think that is? Is it uh, different? Like the judge values different things than you do. Like that's an easy way to say it, but like maybe the judge values things differently, but so does every judge. <laughs> yeah. like if nine out of 10 judges all valued this thing, then like maybe you need to start painting that thing in that way. Um, if, if the, if the like validation of those judges is that important to you. Um, and that's something I run into. Like my natural painting style is very dark and very desaturated. It's just how I generally like my stuff to look. It's what I like painting. Um, it doesn't do as well in an army wide, like fantasy mass fantasy gaming system. So I brighten up, I make a choice with most armies to go a little brighter, a little more primary than I would normally. And that's not to say like paint things you don't like or paint in a way you don't like. It's still the style I love. I'm still super happy with those armies, but at the beginning I make a choice because of feedback from paint judges I've talked to that are like, yeah, I need to, I need it to be a little brighter. I need it to draw and I need it to show off more. Um, Do you think that's important to sort of have an awareness of what your style is or, because I don't think, 
I knew what my paint style was until you get to a certain point of knowing how to paint that you begin to sort of, I guess, have that, um, be able to think about, uh, you're beyond the, I'm just trying to make my line straight, you know, and, and to now I'm like, Oh, I love, I love the sort of super, super contrast, but dark, uh, this style, or I'm a more old school heavy metal style, or I like, you know, uh, I want to paint like Richard Gray, or I, you know, whatever you want to say, Wapple, all, all, all the. Has that been a? Where does that fit in someone's journey? Sort of beginning to identify where, where you align style wise. I mean, it's it's different for every person. I and like, the thing that's important to say is, that's with my own constraints as an artist, right? Like if I could snap my fingers and paint like some of the the you know golden demon winners, then yeah, like f my style, I'll take that, please, um, yeah, like whatever that is, but what I just generally did is I looked back at like five or six projects I had painted and was like, oh, guess I do have a style, like I hadn't really noticed it, and then I looked back and was like, I guess I do always kind of paint that way when when given myself freedom um. So yeah, I I think much like when you're building an army, you should know what your natural playing style is and then choose whether you're like with, you know, you're playing within yourself or you're stretching yourself or you're playing yeah. against your normal type or whatever. It's playing the tendency, I like to say. Like, are you playing yeah. to what your natural instincts are? I mean, it should be the same with, with painting yeah. if you can. You know, if if you like really bright, clean paint jobs... Um, then like, cool. If you really like dirty, kind of messy, sketchy, like super uh, weathered or like grim dark style or whatever people want to call it. Um, and like, that's the style you love, love painting. And that's what you enjoy and keeps you painting. Then like trying to go to a super clean white and yellow, like paint scheme made drive you nuts uh, regardless of how the, the judges will interpret it so i think like always paint the way you want but like there are tips that you can get from judges around how to take your style and make it you know look better yeah. or more eye-pleasing or more eye-catching um, imagine if there was like gear for miniature painting so you'd be at like golden demons with the microphone talking to like some painter and be all like okay natty or not it'd be all like dude look at my non-metallic metal bro this sounds like natural to you because <laughs> i know you and i love me a natty natty or not videos absolutely um uh i love the love the like, internet what i'm sort of looking at is like my natural style i really like when you pick up the model and you look closely at it and that is not generally how an army is judged um by like the general public walking by i I now try and follow the sort of like you want to get people to walk over to your army. So you want something about it that gets them to walk over to it. You want something about it that gets people to stop and look closer. Like as they're walking by, they've walked over to it. They see it and they're like, actually, no, I want to like zoom in and look closer. I want to like bend down. I want to look at the individual units or individual models. And then when they look closer, I want to make sure I'm giving them something that they're rewarded for looking closer yeah. so like display boards striking colors wow factors like what gets people over to the army right 
And then when they get there, the army needs to be good enough looking, well painted enough, um, have good centerpiece units, like work as an army, model choice, cool theme, whatever it is, right? That's like gets them locked in and is actually looking at it uh, and want to look closer. And then once they look closer, conversions, vignettes, multi-basing, really good technical painting, really interesting like choices. Those are all things that can be um, like reward them for looking even closer. And when someone has that experience of like, that looks cool when I'm walking up to it, that looks cool when I look at all the, the army as a whole, and that looks cool when I look at each model, it doesn't matter what style that is. Like your style can be heavy metal clean. It can be flanchitsu. It can be, you know, dark and desaturated. It can be bright and cartoony. Like that's not style dependent. So like there can be tips given to you for how to create those sort of three things, you know, getting people to see it from further, getting people to stop and getting people to look closer that judges or hobbyists or whoever can give you like advice on that's not going to necessarily be like against your style. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No. And I got a, a a good piece of, of when I went to my first Alamo, which was like my first travel tournament. It was my first like actual big miniatures tournament. And I was trying to get feedback from Ryan, who's just a fantastic paint judge. We talked a lot about your army telling a story and it's like layers of the, croissant are layers of the cake where you want the army the visualness of the army to be an experience Mm -hmm. that the viewer goes through you know as they're coming up to it as they're looking at like how does this unit tell a story to this unit and uh uh sort of creating an army that has an identity that's what i love when i finish a project is to be like oh have you seen are are like a hope or a goal I have is oh have you seen Jeremy's uh, Greek Twilight kin you know what I mean or have you seen so and so's you know have you seen you know Britain's chariots or you know the different armies that we kind of know right that that's always I think a fun goal to have at the end of a project where you sort of don't buy all the real estate in an area but you've created a project in an army that is unique. Yeah, and there's yeah. there's a good number of those kicking around the Kings of War community. I would hate to start mentioning too many because as soon as I mention some, other people are going to be left out. Yeah. Um, but it's absolutely true. Like, Corey Reynolds, um, it's been used as Twilight Can and various other stuff, but his Japanese-themed, like, Kitsune army is, like... It's gorgeous, yeah. yeah, really cool. For me, that's, like... I'm not going to make a Japanese-themed army unless I have a really different take on it because he's done a really good job with that theme and that style. And, like, it's a good, like, best-in-class example of, like, that style of army. So, like, cool. That is super recognizable and known. And, you know, there's there's a ton of other really cool examples kicking around of that um, where someone's sort of like, yes, this is a definitive army of this type. Um of this theme of this style whatever and unless you have a unless i personally have a totally different take on it i'm just staying out of that lane (laughs) yeah right you know so we've gone through a lot of really awesome elements you know how, how do you come up with the basics of the project sort of the pacing of the project what you can take a look at for the you know at the end of the project do you try 
to to keep your overall momentum of your hobby what do you think of sometimes what i like to do is be in between projects i do something completely different like I'll work on a King's army and then I want to do sci-fi or I want to do just a single miniature or do you think that there's something there maybe in not always just painting army after army after army, but maybe trying different things to try different techniques or allowing yourself to maybe grow a little bit in different ways instead of doing just army project after army project. Oh, absolutely. Um, I am better about saying that than doing it um i am a big fan of the idea of like having little skirmish games or having D or like role-playing miniatures or just miniatures you want to paint or a warband type thing um and doing those in between uh either in between armies or in between big chunks of armies uh to sort of help yourself do different stuff try different stuff mess around um and just get things done that feel a little faster and better. Like get that dopamine hit of finishing something with it, not without it having to be, you know, hundred models. So absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes I found painting things at different scales too, can be really interesting. You know, if you're painting a lot of small miniatures, you paint a vehicle or you paint uh, a model that's bigger or whatever that sometimes resetting your, scale lens can be an interesting thing to try to make you step step outside of your comfort zone or outside of your box. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, awesome. We're going to take a quick break and on the other side, we'll come back and wrap up the show. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Mike Rossi, fourth Mike on the unplugged radio podcast, dash 28 contributor, giant, nobody Oscar, the grouch lookalike, and you're listening to counter charge. This is the spy master dojo's every man handsome Tom Annis, and you're listening to Countercharge. And we are back. Um, so really one thing, one final thing I'd like to, to, to touch, you know, just kind of pick your brain about when you're um, project p- planning Britain as we wrap up the show. And it could be a whole episode in and of itself, but I think that, you know, we're going to sort of take the project lens for it. So, There's a ton of miniature paints out there on the market, right? So many different brands and types, and we're not going to cover them all. But do you try to, when you are painting an army, stick with sort of one, even like one paint brand so that you're using consistent? Or will you go from brand to brand as you're kind of experimenting with a red here or red there or do you have any advice around someone just getting in the project painting, like uh, stuff around the paints they choose? I mean, it's it's use whatever paints you're most comfortable with. Um, yeah. Don't let a don't let someone tell you that like this one paint it's going to be the only thing you should use to be a better painter, and that like it's immediately going to entirely level up your painting. Um, it probably won't. <laughs> uh, and then don't let people paint shame you. Um, like, oh, you're using army painter. You need to be using like whatever. It's they're all. I hate to say it, but they're all kind of bad. Um, like, <laughs> they're all model paints, and model paints are not like actually good paints within the art world. Um, they're inconsistent. Like, if you've ever bought a paint color and like five years later you buy that paint color again and it looks different, um, they're they're not great. 
Uh, so like find ones you like, find ones you like the texture of, that you feel comfortable watering down, that you like the color of, that you like the opacity that goes on a model well, like experiment, find ones you like, and then stick with them. Yeah. Um, and there's no one there's no one paint line the rule the rule them all right don't no. don't be afraid to use maybe you like the reds from this one company and then the blues from another company that it it's okay if you don't just have one complete line or whatever you know find what you like yeah or like some people just love like their brand loyalists and they find one that they like and they will use it forever and that's that's cool i personally have i'm looking at my paints now like probably eight different manufacturers represented in the like stack of paints I'm using for my current project. Um, I find a color or like set of colors. I like to make a certain shade or whatever of a color. And then I kind of lock that away and I use that and I'm happy with it. So it's like my blues and reds are scale 75, but then all my flesh tones are, AK interactive and my non-metallics are like AK interactive, but my leathers are something else. And then my, you know, teal sort of turquoise is all Vallejo. It's, you know, it, it jumps around. I have GW paints. I do switch those to dropper bottles, but like I have some GW colors I love. Um, yeah, I have a whole bunch of stuff. So it's just finding. Don't be afraid to try new things, right? Yep. The thing yeah. I would say, the advice I would give when you're being dumb and having way too many paints like me is when you do lock in one of those color for one of your army projects, like write it down, like keep a little notebook by your painting desk and just write down what you're using. Because even though I'll paint like a hundred models with like a certain skin recipe for my orcs, where I go from this to this, to this, to this, um, and I'm like, I'll never forget that. I just painted a hundred bottles. That's seared into my brain. And then like five years go by, and you're like, oh, what was it? Yeah, <laughs> Did I seriously, this right? One or this one? Yeah. Skip this one. Oh, so many times I've been there looking at three different browns, and I can't remember what was the brown that I used. And especially for like basing, where you're like, I have a bunch of Vallejo paints, and they're all named super super close to each other so you're like was it dark sand or iraqi sand or a <laughs> different sand they're all kind of close but like which was it um so yeah just write it down write down and it doesn't need to be for like every stupid bit like the sandal straps or whatever but for the the important stuff the the main yeah. colors of an army just write it down once you've locked it in and like five years from now or like one year from now, if you're as forgetful as I am, we'll absolutely thank you for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, don't let people paint shame you. Don't let people brush shame you. Like some of that stuff will improve. Like moving from craft paints to like model paints will help you out. Um, but like GW paints are fine. People win like major painting awards, painting with only GW paints. Uh, like, paint incredible stuff that I can't get close to and then someone some idiot on the internet will tell you like GW paints are garbage you gotta stop using those and it's like yeah they're all garbage um, it's fine whatever makes whatever gets you yeah. the result you want um, it's really the thing that's gonna matter the most is just practice and you know 
getting there's no yeah there's no replacement for painting models that's you know no matter what brush you get or what paint you get or whatever uh maybe there are things which are going to be little little uh push you along but there's you're never going to go to a bed one night and wake up the next day and be painting you know like a different person it's not going to happen yeah and like um, there's paints i get that i loved where i'm like oh i love this like the way these colors fit together the way they blend like i love the texture of that paint it's like a little creamier and i like that for my whatever leathers or something like you have those moments where you find a paint that clicks with you but it's rare like I've bought so many paints. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this isn't different than the other paint I had. It's just a slightly different color or the same color. And I didn't need it. Um, yeah. And sometimes you get bored and just want to look at a different bottle. So you'll just start using different paints. And it's like, it's not like they're that much better or worse than what you just, it's just like, okay, I've been painting with this one brand for a while. I just want to try something new. Just oh, to the try worst. it. I'm the worst. Yeah. I, I think I've said this before on the podcast. I will, I will look at a tutorial and be like, I want to paint that color the way this person did. And even though at the top of that tutorial is like, you don't need to use these exact paints. It doesn't matter. Here's You're the buying them. I used. I'm like, I got to get those exact paints. <laughs> and then I'll get those exact paints and I'll do the tutorial and I'll be like, mm, I don't like it that much. I don't like this version of that color as much as I thought I would. I'm going to try something else. And it's like, and then I'll do it again, like a month later with a different tutorial. So I'm, I'm terrible about that. And then the other piece there around paint is, um, this is kind of a tangent. I apologize, but people on the internet are wrong. A lot of the time they will constantly say things just to say it. Um, my example of this is I saw a video of a like triathlon champion woman who had won like the world championships in her discipline, like nine times she was record holder at multiple distances. Right. So this is a incredibly decorated person in this specific field better than you know, most of the world, like a very, very small percent of the world is even competitive with her. She's winning all this. And she posts a video of her on her time trial bike. And there's just a comment from some dude saying, uh, lower your seat height. Right. Like this person has watched 20 seconds of her riding a bike and is telling her <laughs> how to, how to do things. Um, and it's absolutely wrong. Like she's a world champion. She knows better than this person. I see that happen all the time on the internet with like paint recommendations and like, Oh, what's wrong with your painting is this paint. It's like using that paint has nothing to do with the thing here. Yeah. Like when people on the internet's first solution is like change your paint brand, it's probably not true. Um, so yeah. Use what makes you happy. Use what you can afford, you know, use what gives you. Yeah, exactly. Maybe at the highest level, like, those painters, you know, at the high, high level, oh, this blue is like 2% slightly less viscous than this other, you know, but in most reasonable arenas, it really is not going to make a difference. But even then, it's personal preference. That's true, It's like too. one person will prefer one manufacturer and another will prefer mm. another. And honestly, like for a lot of the YouTube and whoever, it's who's giving them free paint. Yeah, well, <laughs> that is true. Like they're using this brand because like they can get results with it, but like 
it's because they're sponsoring. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, you know, use, use what makes you happy. Try some stuff out. You know, don't buy as tempting as it is to buy the hundred paint set. Like, buy a couple of their paints before you buy the hundred paint set. And I will say I have I have become somewhat of a brush snob later in life. I didn't and say brushes. Yeah, that I uh, I feel like if you if you're if you've been thinking about making the jump to nicer brushes and you're worried by the cost, if you take care of a nice brush. That means making sure you don't get pain in the ferrule. You're cleaning it with brush soap. You're storing it properly. A nice brush will last you a long time. And for me, I'd rather pay a little bit more and have the brush last twice as long as a crappy brush. You know, you end up, I mean, you get uh, for value and you can get them off, you know, there's tons of websites like Dick Blick or where you can get nicer brushes at cheaper costs. But I feel that that is one thing that, having a nice brush does does help um yeah i think at a certain level your brushes can be holding you back but it you do have to get to that level it's not like sure the first thing you should do is when you first start like yeah i mean is run out and get your like Raphael whatever 25 dollar brush like you're probably fine with whatever you're using um but yeah, there is a level where eventually brushes will be holding you back. Yeah, exactly. Just something to think about if you if you if you if you've hit. I feel like if there's these times when you're trying to get better and you've hit a wall, there are certain things you can try. Like right, try some different brushes. If you've never used the wet palette, I know some people love them, some people hate them. Maybe try a wet palette, or maybe look about. Uh, getting into adding in some airbrush. There's certain things we, we can try, right? If you do hit like a wall, you can take a look at uh, what might spice things up in your painting life. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I just, for me, it's, it's spend time painting models, spend time thinking about how you can get better, try and get better. Don't be just happy in your lane. And that, that's like the biggest things. Yeah, and don't be afraid, like Britton said earlier, use the good aspects of the world in which we live, which is watch YouTube videos. Watch YouTube videos of painters you like painting things that you have no intention of ever painting. You just want to watch them paint because maybe on that model, they're going to paint something blue or they're going to paint something brown and you're going to see how they do it. I think just absorb like open your mind and look at pictures and watch YouTube videos and look at model reviews or whatever. The more you, you open yourself up the different types of painters and different types of artists, I think you're going to be able to sort of, maybe you'll take, Ooh, I like a little bit of this. I like a little bit of that. And then uh, you begin to develop sort of your own style, your own preferences and then i mean the hobby is fun before that but then once you get to there that's when i think it's like a whole new world where you yeah. it's just i don't think i've painted a space rain in 15 years but i have watched a ton of space rain painting <laughs> tutorials because i want that color or that technique or that trim style or whatever yeah. so well, awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed this show. Like I said, this is going to be the first in a series of Scrying Gems. The next episode, we're going to hopefully have Alex and Tom back. And in that episode, we're going to talk more about what we call intentional practice. So when you're in that list building phase, 
how do you practice a list? Because it's not just you, you take a list and I take a list, let's fight. Sometimes practice games are like that. But sometimes it's maybe you're trying something specific. You're looking at uh, board states and rewinding the table or fast forwarding to another turn. Or, you know, we're going to get into all that juicy stuff about how do you take a list from its earliest, most sort of kernels and then build that out and then build that out and then build that out and then eventually have a list that that then is uh, working at a high level. So today tonight we looked at uh, sort of the hobby el- element of that and then next time we get together with the gang we'll be taking a look at the uh more gameplay element so um so brinton um it's not it's not coming up for a little bit but i know it's uh gonna be on your radar once we get into next year uh bay of kings next year same same time same bat channel same time same bat channel even better so. uh-huh Come so on still, out. It's uh, late September, uh, San Diego, California. Information will be going up soon on Bay of Kings uh, GT.com. I think that's what it is. It might just be Bay of Kings. Let me double check. Okay. While we're sitting here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the GT we host out in San Diego. Um, yeah, it's just Bay of Kings.com. We hosted down in sunny San Diego. We know it sort of costs people a lot to get here. We are far away from most of the rest of the Kings of War world. So if you do make it out, we try and make it worth your while. Um, We do, you know, a taco bar for lunch. We do a barbecue Saturday night at the venue this year. Um, We bring in food and drinks and coffee when we can and donuts. And we just really try and help help people out when they get out here rides to and from the airport if possible you know we try and get a airbnb together for folks from out of town that jeremy is going to be organizing so yeah yeah we, we appreciate everyone who comes out and everyone who has come out you could talk to them has had a great time yeah and if for whatever reason you can't make it out to to uh, masters next september or you're not going to uk clash uh, we're going to have another a great option for a good event on this side of the country. And then if you're interested and have not talked to Rashad about Riddle of, Riddle of Steel, which is going to be February President's Day weekend, and you're in the neck of the woods and you want to do that, make sure you reach out and talk to him. That will sell out. Uh, I think we're getting close to that selling out as we speak. So I know for that event, we have people coming from Texas, from Washington, Oregon, uh, again, um, we don't have a ton of events in the West, but the ones we do is we have some great events in San Diego and Southern California and then up with the Reno guys. So if you're in our neck of the woods, definitely reach out to us and we'll get you, we'll get you connected with the group. So, um, well, awesome. Thanks, Britton. You have any other shout outs or final thoughts? No, it's, it's been fun chatting about this. Um, if anyone wants advice about stuff or to, tell me how horribly wrong I am about paint brands or anything else I've said here. Just feel free to reach out and I will. That's so shocking. Britain, right? Because don't war gamers always agree on that sort of stuff. Absolutely. No one one, like, yeah, the, the time to worry about a war gamer is when he stops arguing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just kind of hit on what Britain said in the end. It's your art, bro, buddy. Just paint, man. Paint with what you want to paint. Paint the models that you want to paint. Use the materials you want to paint. Whatever gets you painting, whatever I really think painting will enrich your life. So whatever gets you to do it, 
don't let anyone poo poo on your journey because what your painting journey is, is just that, right? It's your journey and it's no one's else. You can't compare your journey in life, whether it's painting, uh, getting, uh, getting over psycho hose, hose bags, whatever it, whatever it may be, your pace in your life is your pace. And that's the pace you're going to go by. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, awesome. Um, so stay tuned. We got a lot of awesome stuff coming up for you guys for Countercharge. We're continuing getting all our army reviews updated and done under the new Clash. Uh, we have a, a couple more coming out uh, at the beginning of next year. We got a lot of great plans for you guys for 2024, both covering kings that we love but we also got firefight content the new epic firefight that i am super jazzed uh the old school space marine box was some of the first miniatures i had from the epic space marine so i'm excited to try that out but so stay tuned and remember with that always keep counter charging thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on counter charge Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.